Welcome to PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we're talking to members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, recording at Moonyard Studio in Tacoma, Washington, and my guest today is Mary Thompson, an alum in the class of 2019 who's calling in from Memphis, Tennessee. Mary, good morning. How's it going? Oh, 10 out of 10 here in Tacoma. How are you? I'm doing okay. It seems like we've traded weather because I have the gloom here and you have the sun. Yeah, you told me you're listening to Washington State weather reports. I do, which probably I should probably tune into my own local radio stations, you know, support local. But I wake up a little too late for that. Uh, so. so you catch the West Coast news? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, the first thing I want to ask you about is you're from Memphis. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people at first glance maybe wonder how somebody from Memphis made their way all the way up to the Pacific Northwest. So I'm going to ask you to think back to your senior year of high school. Um, How do you get to Puget Sound to begin with? It's a great question. Um, I get it a lot. Well, I got it a lot as a tour guide. I would also get the, well, you don't have an accent, Uh, (laughs) um, which I don't because my mom actually is from the West Coast. Um, So that's part of it. And my dad on the other side, works for college admissions. So kind of had both those things going for me. And I knew that, you know, I'd spent my entire life in the South, um, knew that culture and was ready for something different, um, something more challenging. Um, And I loved Oregon, which is where my my mom's side of the family lives and had spent my summers there and was thinking, well, how do I, how do I join these two um, kind of requirements for my next step in life, finding a challenge and also being somewhere new. So the Pacific Northwest seemed like a good place to expand my search. I was mostly looking at small liberal arts colleges. Um, I knew I wanted something small and something close to a city with new opportunities. Um, So when I was visiting my family one summer in Oregon, my mom said, great, let's go. Let's go look at Puget Sound. And it actually was her first choice when she was looking at schools um, a long time ago. (laughs) Sorry, mom. Uh, And we both fell in love with the campus. And uh, my favorite story to tell actually is that I was on campus and I was just walked out of an art history class as a prospective student. Um, And I was walking out of Wyatt, which is kind of one of the higher buildings on campus. You can see a little bit more of... um, like the, the mountain range, the Cascades from there. And I called my mom. I said, hey, I'm on my way back to the mission building. Like, I'll meet you there. And in the middle of our conversation, I just said, oh, my gosh, mom, you have to come meet me here. Mount Rainier is out. This is amazing. <laughs> I've never seen something so incredible. Um, and she came to meet me, and she said, wow, this is beautiful. And I looked at her and I said, where do I sign? <laughs> I'm ready. Like, this is where I want to be. This is so magical. Um, and so new and special for me. So that's, that's a long story. And, um, you know, we were able to make it work. Um, it was really scary to take this bet on myself to Hmm. move out West, uh, what, like 2,500 miles away from home and everybody here in in Memphis, wow, you're going so far away. That's, that's so brave. And I was like, wow, I don't, I don't feel brave. (laughs) Um, and, and what if I, you know, what if I fail and what if I have to come home? And that's a really long distance to travel. Like I could stay here and be comfortable. And like, even if I fail here, it'll be less of a blow. Right. Right. Um, I said, I, I, I needed something really, really new and challenging to push me. And, um, 
catch me even. So, but um, I love the idea, the phrase you just used of taking a bet on yourself, mm-hmm. right? I've never heard anybody say it that way, but that is exactly right. Like I often think of it as a little bit of a leap of faith that mm-hmm. you, you can't game out your life past the, I'm going to make this choice and, believe that it will work out but you're right that what's central to the belief that it will work out is the the belief that it's okay to put your chips on yourself totally and I think that even kind of sums up my time at Puget Sound like um just choosing all of these things that I wanted to do but did never think that I could do and um try new things that I never thought I would try like I did uh (laughs) I tried a rock climbing class and found out I was afraid of, afraid of heights. So yeah. (laughs) Um, and I think Elena, you told me this when I was deciding to drop it, but it was a productive failure. And that's my favorite phrase. Yeah. And it's really good, but you, you make those bets on yourself and you say, yeah, I can probably do this. And also it's okay if I choose not to, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's better, it's better to try than, than to never, never tried on, I guess, which is cheesy, but it's, it's very true. You also mentioned just a minute ago that you visited an art history class as a prospective student. Yes. You were subsequently an art history major. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you know that was the plan all along? I had an inkling, but was very excited to, uh, dabble, I guess you could say. Um, which is what the appeal of a liberal arts school was for me. Um, I knew I had lots of interest. Um, religion, um, the study of religion was, was kind of high on my list. Psychology, um, at one point, I really thought my life goal was going to be a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that biology is, is not, not my thing, um, to <laughs> say the least. Um, so the goal was really just to to play around and, and find what felt good and, and what fit. Um, and I knew I liked art history from a couple of classes I took in high school, which is really unique. A lot of high schools don't offer those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I was super lucky to not only take those courses, but have a really amazing teacher. Um, so I went in thinking, yeah, this would be really cool if I could study this academically. I don't know what that means because AP classes are very different from a scholarly approach to a subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took my um, seminar in scholarly inquiry as, as a first year. That would be that first year um, writing and research intensive seminar. Right. So mm-hmm. people who are familiar with the curriculum, certainly you know this already, but for folks mm-hmm. who are not, we ask every first year student to take one of those classes in their first semester, one of those classes in their second semester. So one of your four classes each semester um, will be a class that we're sort of the, the pedagogical, the teaching and learning basis is learning how to be an effective college student. Um, but the topics are all over the place. So you might take that class on the scientific and romantic revolutions. You might take it on the economics of soccer around the world. You might take, um, what else am I thinking about? World theater, right? Yeah. Or you might take whatever it is that you took. I took, and I, I'm probably going to butcher the name of it. Sorry, Krista. Um, <laughs> Women in Power in Byzantium. Um, and Krista Kochis, who is a, a professor of, of art history at Puget Sound, is a Byzantinist, so someone who studies Byzantine art. Um, and, and what is Byzantine, just real quick, not to put you on the spot with your freshman seminar from five years ago? <laughs> um, it's early Christian art, so Roman Empire, 4th, 5th century, 
man, I really hope I got that right. Um, <laughs> I did write my thesis on modern art, so um, a little sketchy on the dates there, but I think that's, <laughs> that's right, or at least it's close. Krista's um, been on the podcast before, so if anybody wants to fact check, you can go back. Yeah, and you should. She's she's a really awesome lady, um, a really great historian, art historian too, so you should check, check it out. So you take um, her seminar. So I took her seminar, and not only... <laughs> really, really liked her. I had a big professor crush. Um, <laughs> and, um, so I, I really enjoyed her teaching style. Um, uh, but I loved the content. It was really awesome to, to learn about an area of art history that I did actually, um, previously, um, or I was previously very interested in high school. So it was cool to take a course that was really focused on that material. Um, and also be introduced to, um, how professors teach at Puget Sound, what's expected of you, and really ease you in um, to, I guess, an area of study that you might be interested in. Some people sure. take these these seminars on something really not relevant to them, but hopefully end up being somewhat interested. Um, so it was great to be eased in in that way for me to what the art history department was. Um, so it can be useful to take a seminar in a, in a department that you think you're interested in, um, but it's obviously not necessary. And I wonder, uh, oh, sorry, you go ahead. No, no, continue. I was going to just ask if you could speak a little bit about what you do in art history, right? If you are an art historian, if you're an art history major, I think with the humanities in general, and this is coming from someone who really loves the humanities, there is oftentimes a lot of, well, that seems nice, but what do you do? Right. Sure. It seems good to read literature. It seems good to look at paintings or it seems good to. But right. Where mm-hmm. where does that take you? How does that help you? And what are you even doing besides like looking at pictures of sarcophagi, um, mm-hmm. et cetera? I, yeah. Really excellent question that I am also still trying to find out myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so apart from. Are you meaning more like after you graduate or do you mean in? I meant like in class, but w- oh yeah. boy, will we ever get to the after you graduate part? <laughs> yeah, we will. Um, in class, it is. It's a lot of reading at the lower level courses um, that you may take as a first year and a sophomore. Um, it's a lot of getting to know what we call the canon of art history, which you later will uh, learn to theorize and uh, make make um, stronger judgments and become critical of the canon, but you learn those, those basics, those building blocks of what art history is and what the study of art is. Um, so you can take some of those early levels are like just Greek, early Greek and Roman art. Right. Um, so that ancient stuff that people seem to really love or maybe a modern art class or just a general survey. Um, that's like uh, <laughs> Renaissance to modern and it never encapsulates everything right. Um, But really the goal is just to familiarize yourself with the visual culture of of Mm -hmm. what art history is. Um, And you get to read a lot by scholars and researchers and start to form your own opinions on on different periods and artists and and, um, artworks. And you think, oh, wow, like, all right, well, maybe Mondriana wasn't really that great or... Um, Digliani really was amazing. You know, something, something like that. You start to really grasp those basic concepts and, and, and formulate your own understanding of, of the subject, if that, if that makes sense. So it kind of goes from walking around a museum with no idea to, 
oh, I know what I'm looking at. I know how to look at this. I know how to analyze it. Um, I know how to, to formulate my own, my own thoughts about what I'm looking at. And I would say too, not to like answer my own question, but (laughs) regular listeners of the podcast will know that I was a sociology and anthropology major Mm -hmm. at Puget Sound, a social science. So a little different than a lot of the humanistic disciplines. Um, but not that distinct in that I think the purpose or maybe the first purpose of a degree like that is to learn skills rather than to learn facts. Mm-hmm. And obviously you are learning facts as well. Like you in your discipline have to be able to correctly identify an artist. In my discipline, you have to know some stuff about the history of anthropology when you choose the area that you're going to focus on. Like I wrote my senior thesis on alternative fuel cookstoves in Madagascar. I had to be right about that stuff mm-hmm. and how it worked. Um, so it's not like you can make stuff up, but I think when I think about what I like learned and came away with, I don't think so much about like, yeah, well, I read Clifford Geertz. And so I learned these facts about like Balinese society that I can whip out at a dinner party. Although that is also (laughs) true. Um, but I think more that I, I learned skills, right? So I was able to take a lot of different sources of varying quality, maybe in a couple of different languages, maybe structured in a couple of different ways and put them together and draw a conclusion, right? Or Mm -hmm. I was able to read something really dense, really fast and repackage it so that it could be accessed and understood by somebody who has no background or expertise in it. Mm -hmm. Or that I was able to, you know, take one person's experience and fit it properly into a broader narrative, right? You know, I'm hearing you tell me the story about your life and this is the way that it illustrates or contradicts or otherwise fits into some of these bigger ideas that we have about the world. Um, And oftentimes I think when we do think about the what comes after college part, those are the things that are really valuable is obviously you need the facts, you need the knowledge. It is to your benefit to have those things. But to be able to do all of those kind of soft skills um, matters, too. Mm hmm. Hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Shucks. <laughs> what a nice compliment. <laughs> and the other thing, too, just real quick, one more um, one more lovely moment for the humanities. And this will be, I think, particularly true in your discipline. But I think these are the things that really show us the breadth of the human experience. Mm-hmm. Right? When you talk about visual culture, a painting or a poem or a, a piece of art like that oftentimes is the thing that allows you to inhabit someone else's experience. Totally. Absolutely. And that can be really powerful or it can mean nothing at all to you. And you, it's um, a fun experience to learn out which way that goes for you. I wonder if to illustrate that, will you tell us a little bit about your senior thesis and sort of the, the culminating work that you did in the department? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, and I haven't thought about this in a long time, so I hope I articulate it well. But I uh, early on, as I took that that seminar with with Professor Kochis, um, Women in Power in Byzantium, I realized that I was uncovering this interest in women in the arts and not just um, women artists or women who led movements, but women in art, hmm. in the pictures, in the sculptures. Um, so I did a lot of research at any opportunity on, on pieces with women in them or by women artists. Um, but I spent my summer as an au pair in France and had a weekend in London where I went to the Courtauld Institute of Art. Um, they have a gallery, one of the best um, post-impressionist era collections um, in one place. And I came 
across a piece by Amadeo Migliani, um, who painted most actively in the early 19 teens and twenties. Um, and you'll probably, probably recognize like, uh, swan, swan necks and empty eyes. You, you definitely recognize the piece if you saw it. Um, but there's this wonderful, beautiful turquoise and peach piece, um, called female nude <laughs> of all things. Um, and it's this woman with long black hair reclining, um, and she has pubic hair, which if you're familiar with the art historical canon and how women have historically been depicted in art, and I should say how white women have been depicted in art, you know that body hair is, is not something that is featured. Um, and the plaque next to the piece said, this piece was, was removed from its exhibition in blank on the air, I think it's 1916 because of the sight of pubic hair. Um, and that was really, fascinating to me and kind of struck a chord and I snapped a picture and I emailed um Krista Coaches and said I think I might want to do something with this um and we put a pin in it until um second semester senior year and I developed um, what was the when was the summer that you were that you saw it how far in advance of your senior year and I think that was summer before my junior year, actually. Okay. So it was, it was a while that this idea was stewing. Yeah, you have a year to think about it. Yeah, I had a year to think about it and also read up on it. Mm -hmm. And I think I wrote a, like a foundational um, paper on it for another class so that I had something to kind of build off of. Um, so I wrote my senior thesis on um, this, uh, with the Medigliani piece as crux and looking at his other his other nudes and many of his other female nudes also have armpit or pubic hair. Um, and so I looked at how, um, how and why women are or aren't depicted with body hair, especially um, white women versus women of color. And it, it was very common, especially in that um, early 20th century to um, that women of color were the only bodies depicted with, with body hair. And so it's this notion of the erotic and, um, eroticizing race which is really problematic in art and with those with those european artists uh, male european artists and and um what is feminine and what is masculine and so um that was that was so much fun to me and um i think coming from the south where the expectation of femininity and, and masculinity is so um black and white and binary um and not ever something that i particularly felt tied to mm -hmm. was so refreshing for me to come to the West coast. Um, and of course, this is just my own impression of the regions of the country, but coming to the West coast where those, those lines weren't so, so bold anymore. And I tapped into different elements of my personality and my identity and, um, writing this paper not only helped me fall in love with a certain aspect of art and art history, but myself, it was really fun. Hey there, I'm Ryan Del Rosario, Assistant Director of Admission and School of Music Admission Coordinator. I'm checking in to make sure you know about Puget Sound's conservatory-style School of Music. Puget Sound students can major or minor in music performance, music education, music business, and composition. Non-majors can take music classes, play in our ensembles, and even be eligible for scholarship. Visit pugetsound.edu music to find out more. But for now, back to the show.
also, I think, I guess I'm about to put myself on the record saying this, but I believe you're the most recent graduate we have ever had come on the podcast. You graduated less than a year ago in May of 2019. Fresh. You were fresh. (laughs) I think it is fair to say that for anybody after that big transition, there's a little bit of a figuring it out period. But where are you? What's up? What are you doing? Hmm. How's it going? um, It's hard. It's hard. Um, And there is a lot to figure out, to say the least. Um, So I am from Memphis, and I did come back to Memphis. And part of that is that um, it made sense. And the other part is um, I got a job here. Uh (laughs) That'll do it. That'll do it. And um, I am working at a contemporary um, art gallery here that represents uh, a roster of regional and nationally, regionally and nationally known artists um, and having a, a pretty good time. It's really interesting. I, I think the, that I am learning um, more than I anticipated and um, I spent a lot of time studying the old stuff <laughs> and now I'm really exposed to the current stuff and the new stuff. Um, so I'm working with living artists, which right. have a lot more to say than, than dead ones. <laughs> um, so that's really cool. I've met some just incredible creative minds and um, that has, that's been really valuable to me. And I'm also figuring out maybe aspects of the modern art world that aren't my favorite and that's okay too. Um, and I'm, and I'm also just trying to be a person and who is, who is Mary, um, without all the clubs I was involved in, right. and, um, without <laughs> five hours of homework every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, and also being around a lot more, um, meat and barbecue, uh, <laughs> less vegetarian options. Um, so all in all, it's, it's a big conglomeration there are lots of different things that I don't think I anticipated having to learn or relearn, um, being out of college. Um, and every day is different. One of the things that I think about a lot, and I'm going to come back in a minute and ask you some professional questions, but first I'm just going to say that I think a lot about the parallels between graduating from high school and coming to college mm-hmm. and graduating from college and going out into the world because there are both these really big inflection points where the sort of external handholds that you maybe use to stabilize yourself in your life shift position a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so when you come from high school to college, like your friends are different. Your food is different. Your bed sheets are different, right? Your The weather's different. And when you graduate from college and go out into the world, some of those material things maybe stay the same in a, a way they didn't before. But same thing, right? The, the sort of landscape of your life shifts a little bit. And for everybody, I think it is to varying degrees, just a really different experience to shift from this really intensive community where there's a lot of stuff to do. There's a lot of really accessible external things you can get your hands into to go to living a life that is maybe wearing a different coat, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dressed up a little differently. 
Yeah. Um, and quite literally it's, it's humid and hot here and, um, <laughs> I don't like it as much as I like a Tacoma summer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there is, I, I remember feeling similarly as, as a first year at Puget Sound and I, I used to keep up a blog, um, that, you know, probably wouldn't hurt to return to in this phase of life. Um, because I used it as a way of processing as a freshman when I had less community, um, at first. So, yeah. Uh, I, I remember writing about um, a line from a poem. Who the title and the author is missed on me right now, but um, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. And just remember feeling that notion of I'm still me at my core, but there are things that are falling away hmm. that um, maybe I, I that needed to, right? And maybe things that I am afraid of losing as a part of me. Um, and that is a similar thing as now um, being t- taken out of your community in college for really solid years um, where I grew a lot and got to know myself and parts of me changed and, and remolded and um, came about. Um, <laughs> and so that's, that's kind of, kind of like it is now. And um, I don't, I don't have the same things that I did in Washington, but I have different things. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is kind of diff- difficult to articulate um, without sounding too pessimistic about missing the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> um, because I think, you know, you really make a home for yourself in college. And so starting that over can be really hard, even when you're in a place that is familiar. Um, so it, it's about finding those, those pieces of yourself and how they translate and sometimes it's, it's not so smooth, mm-hmm. but, um, I think part of your, your time in college is about learning to, to slowly adjust, um, and adapt. And I definitely do. I think that I'm more equipped to, to handle change, um, because of how different, you know, every year is in school, every summer is different, but mm-hmm. now I'm in a time in my life where hopefully things will be a little more, um, consistent if, if that makes makes sense right like I'm, I'm in a job and right um, I, my classes aren't going to change next semester mm-hmm. and um, my friends aren't graduating right <laughs> so things, things are a little more regular here and I think that there's a tranquility and a trust that you can have in that um so um circle back to your I don't know how far I've gotten from your question but it does take some trying on of hats and coats and um, some things you don't get right and yeah, that's okay. And also it's, it's okay to let it suck and, mm-hmm. um, find really find those, those pieces that make you feel good. Ooh, let them feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, like I started volunteering here with Planned Parenthood and it's been fabulous. Right. Um, so it, just trying on things, just keep going. <laughs> I want to also ask you a little bit about your job. Did you know when you were graduating that you were interested in working commercially in the art world? Um, not commercially. Yeah. I, to be frank, did not know much about how galleries operated in the art world. Um, I think most people's um, idea, if you're not from New York City, of a gallery is, oh, here's a little shop that has some little pieces, you know, featured by local artists and whatnot, and you can buy a $25 print which is very different from uh, the kind of big time 
gallery that sells pieces for you know thousands of dollars and right. are by really well-established artists and um you know you're working with museum contacts and you're working with press and all of that so it's a very it's a very um big and complex and, and fast moving world. So I didn't quite understand the dynamic of that. Um, and I think first off, I, I really was interested in doing museum work, um, museum education. And, and I think at the crux of my interest of art is, is community. So where does art and community intersect and how does that matter and why does that matter? Um, but this is what I found. Um, this is the position that has put me in the door and put me in the field. And there's just as much to learn there as there is in any other first job. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, working with living artists and people whose, whose art um, is, is popular and making an impact, especially here in Memphis, like this is a great place to be for the visual arts. There's so much happening from um, local artists who have, who are born and raised here and making a scene here to, you know, high school youths, painting murals um and so working in a gallery that kind of has that commercial um function but also branches out into the community um is is meeting a nice crux for me um and there are you know like i said not everything about that is is perfect for me and and i think it's important to know what you like and what you don't like as much you know it's kind of like picking college like you want to know right. <laughs> what you don't want as much as what you do want. And um, all in all, it, it's been a really awesome learning experience to be a part of the puzzle piece of what is the larger art world, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I was the other day I was reading something. It was like a advice column and it was like advice for graduates in the class of 2018, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and there was this great line in it about a career is mostly something you have looking backwards, not forwards. <laughs> right that you can't game out too many steps in advance like well I am going to do this and this and this and this and this and then I'm going to have this perfect life <laughs> but that right. once you've made a bunch of choices you can look back and say okay I see how the thing I learned in this one job or experience or relationship took me to this next place um and the other thing I was really struck by in that article is that there's a difference between a goal and a plan <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. That like one of those is aspirational, one is actionable. Mm -hmm. And it's it's okay to be in the plan stage, <laughs> which yes. is maybe not as like wholly satisfying as the goal. Right. And the plan stage also is more risky, right? It's, it's yeah. more That's where you take the bets on yourself. Right. Um and it's it's um sometimes it's hard to, to trust that those plans will take the course that they will. I, I like to make a difference in saying like things will happen how they're supposed to happen and things will work out because working out, if you want things to work out, you need to be flexible on how you want them to happen. If, mm. that, if that's making yeah. sense in the distinction there. Um, so you have to be okay with things not going to plan. And then that means that things will work out. Right. Am I making sense? No, Is you my... are. And I'm envisioning, um, you know how in like fifth grade or seventh grade or whenever we learned to do probability, you could, would they had you make those probability trees that Ooh, branch and yes. branch and branch? Like Exactly what I'm imagining. Yeah, that's my visual. Is this idea that if there is like a hundred lives that you could live mm -hmm. and 
you only want one of them, mm-hmm. you're going to be disappointed 99 times. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if yeah. you, if you can figure out, you know, there are some central things that I want in my life and that could look a lot of different ways and mm-hmm. that'd be cool. I can be a little flexible. And this is all coming from someone who's so type A, you could like, I don't even know what the right expression is. I, I'm a girl. I like to have a plan. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's been a big learning experience for me to say, you know, it might be OK that I I don't know what every step is on the mm-hmm. way to the goal. It's not so much pressure, though, to, to know every step. Like, <laughs> oh, why do we do this for ourselves. Yeah. Come on. Like, <laughs> no, it really is. Right. Yeah. And I think the idea, too, that like that those are they're attainable right that not only do you have an idea of what the steps are but and this is back to the your career is something you have looking backwards not forwards mm-hmm. right that you can in hindsight maybe see how all those things go together but the sort of obsessiveness it would take to plot it out in advance is isn't quite the same thing right yeah i think that's a really apt way of putting it mary when you think about sort of holy like you're the last five years kind Mm -hmm. of with a bow on them which has involved really a lot of change right you and this is what we've been talking about but to recap you move from memphis to the pacific northwest you get a college degree you build all this community you leave Mm -hmm. what what feels like the lasting thing to you when you think about your experience at puget sound when you think about the directions it gave you when you think about the things that happened that were unexpected or that changed you or that influenced you. Is there anything or maybe a few things that really stand out? Wow. That's a good question. (laughs) You can take a Uh, second and think about it. Well, I mean like my heart kind of fluttered when you asked me that because that is such a meaningful question. Um, There are, there are lots of different things, which I think is, is good. Um, But think that something that was um something that was hard for me to um is that you to, what is that a computer <laughs> alert on your end yes it was sorry I meant to do the do not disturb such a busy uh, morning for you so popular oh uh, well you know it's it's a uh, spam so <laughs> those are my friends right now um Clark shoes um <laughs> I think there's an an idea that when you get to college, yeah, your first semester is going to be hard and it's going to be a little lonely and you're going to be working on settling in and that's okay. But then second semester, you're going to have your friends and everything's (laughs) going to be set in stone. And that is not the case. No. Um, And I didn't start feeling at home in myself or Washington um, or Puget Sound, even though I knew that I, I was where I needed to be nothing, not everything clicked for me until maybe second semester, sophomore year. And I was supposed to go abroad fall my junior year. And, um, I didn't (laughs) bought the plane ticket and I was signed up for the program. And I called my dad and I said, this isn't right for me. This is not, this is one thing that is not in the plan as much as I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And always had been. <laughs> and it's because I was feeling so at home in Puget Sound in, in that semester that I decided I needed to stay and wanted to stay. 
Um, and so many of the things that I'd started college doing at that point, I, I wasn't doing anymore. And Miles Burdick <laughs> had invited me, a former Puget Sound admission counselor, had invited me to be on a student panel for a decision Puget Sound Day. Um, and I just started to really love that, that corner of campus, the, the people who were so stoked to be there that they wanted everyone, every visitor that came to feel that emotion too, and um, feel that comfort too. And I said, hey, Miles, I know that you've already selected tour guides and I'm supposed to go abroad, and, but my plans have changed. Can I please, can I please still send an application? And he said, yes. And uh, blah, 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 I got the job. And then I worked <laughs> in admission for two years the last two years of college. And um, then my senior year, I, I joined the orientation um, leaders. And I did all of these things in those last two years that really solidified my, uh, my hominess, mm-hmm. my, my rightness of, of being where I was. And um, that made it really hard to leave. I felt like I, you know, I was really hitting my stride and, and, just getting it right. Um, so I, so I, I just accepted it. You know, I just have to say this, this is it. Let's, let's love every second I get. And you can't be so sure of, of who you're going to be and what you're going to want so early on. But, um, I think about, I think about being an orientation leader and, um, that last day with my orientees and this is one of the best things I've ever done on campus. And I wish I had another year to do it. And, um, making so many fabulous relationships in the admission office, working, working for the admission office, um, friendships with, with students and, um, mentorships with, with staff that have turned into friendships. Yes. I mean, Elena Becker. (laughs) Um, and that's, um, that's really meaningful. And the, and the, the, I was listening to your podcast, uh, with, uh, Nikki, Tom, Mm -hmm. who is, one of my dearest friends that I miss so much, um, who's still in Washington, um, at Puget Sound to, to clarify. Um, <laughs> and, and you said to Nikki, like, you know, these, these things that matter to you in your time at Puget Sound don't go away once you leave. And it's so true. And I love the mountains and I love my people that are, that are still in Washington and they're still waiting for me. They're still there. Um, and I can look at pictures and, and answer the phone. So, um, all those things are, are really what I think about being the most important as I, as I transition out of my time at Puget Sound. Mary, we wrap up every episode by asking everybody the same four questions. Question number one is, what's the best place on campus? Oh, man. Okay, I, I always felt less of a college student this is just a personal thing, um, nobody's <laughs> fault. Um, because I never found like my one study spot. Like, um, and I think maybe part of that was like, don't get too attached. Um, but now I'm thinking about it and there's this one little spot that's really just not special in the terms of how it looks or where it is, but it's right outside Wyatt kind of, I guess, where I had my aha moment of coming to Puget Sound as, as a prospective student, where you can see Mount Rainier in between, I think it's uh, 
Thomas and and Weyerhaeuser mm-hmm. and, and it just it's perfect it's the perfect frame and it's under a tree and it's in the grass so you can be there and be surrounded by you know classmates and and you know academics whatever if you want to get into the whole balance thing but you can see the mountain from your campus <laughs> and it's a nice little reminder that there's more to life than just getting that paper done and getting an A mm-hmm. <laughs> um and it's one of those really unassuming like everyone goes to that little courtyard in, in Weyerhaeuser to look at the mountain and I'm like mm, I got this spot right here from <laughs> us thank you no one knows about it but now I guess people will so never mind but that's a good spot if you can find it let me know what are you reading right now I'm reading the um the gold the goldfinch I should, yeah uh, Donna Turp goldfinch yeah mm-hmm. and I'm only about 70 pages in and it's incredibly written and I got it from the Memphis Public Library and um it's it's thick and my due date's coming up so I gotta get a move on <laughs> best um, place to eat in Tacoma um depends on the occasion fancy Duke's um chowder house mm-hmm. if it's special and then uh per day with a friend antique sandwich company by point defiance and lastly Mary what makes Puget Sound special uh, so many things. Um, I know a lot of people say the people, and that is special. They are special. But I've been on campus when no one else is there, and it still feels magical. So I think there's something really um, enlivening about the physical location and the sparkly grass and the, the ocean air and uh, the mountains. There's just something really special about that. Mary Thompson. Thanks so much for joining me on the Puget Sound podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to PS, the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for P.S., the Puget Sound Podcast.